What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Raquel, and this episode, I'm interviewing Nick Carew, and Nick worked on The Girlfriend Experience Season 3. We discussed the pacing, the shot choices, how they got things to work during COVID, and so much more. With all that said, here's my interview with Nick Carew. First question for you is, uh, how did you get involved with The Girlfriend Experience? Because it looks like you cut every single episode this season. That's right, yeah. I'd, um, I'd worked with uh, Anya McQuart, uh on her film, She's Lost Control, some years back, which was just a really enjoyable experience. Um, and so that's how, that's how we knew each other, and we'd been wanting to work together um, since. And so when this series came up, um, yeah, it was just a, we had a really enjoyable collaboration the first time around. And so it was great to work with her again, and um, a different and uh, an enjoyable experience you know, being able to cut all 10 episodes. It was the same DP, uh, Zach Geller, for all 10. And, uh, and Anya wrote and directed and show ran and, uh, all of them. And then I cut them all. So it, was, uh, it felt almost like an extended film, sort of a, a five-hour film rather than a, um, a compartmentalized series. What's interesting is because, like you said, it's a series, but it's, it's an anthology series. You know, from season to season, it changes. So what's left behind in the edit suite from the previous seasons that you had to change or... How did you approach embracing this new storyline for this season? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a franchise, and I think this season honors what, what came before it. But, you know, it's able to play a completely different tune. Uh, as you say, it's an anthology, so it's a, it's a new character, Iris, uh, an American neuro-researcher. Uh, and she is beginning a new life in London, working in two jobs, one at a tech startup and, uh, and the other is an escort providing clients with the girlfriend experience. And so I guess the, the international location, this being all set in London with characters from all over the world, it's different. It, it definitely has a, a different feel to it, but I think it still fits within the franchise. As you were working with Anya, was there any real life influences for the season? Oh, interesting. Real life influences. I mean, I know that she has done, you know, a lot of research for this series, which it really grounded it, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it begins as a drama and, and slowly sort of shapeshifts into, uh, into a bit more of a sci-fi, but, but a little heavier on the sci than the fiction. Same thing um, with She's Lost Control, her last film. She, she really goes deep on the research. And so it has a lot of sort of nutritious soil to pull from and, and things come up uh, that weren't necessarily in the script. Uh, but because you're working with this really well-researched material, new things pop up. It sort of has a, has a life that's still grounded. I would say that was a... Kind of a difference from working in, in um, some other films that I've worked on. Researching for this, I couldn't help but think of, there's a documentary called We All Live in Public. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, and it's about a tech company person who starts a social experiment, essentially, in New York. And how it's this dream ideal for everyone, but then it all sort of collapses in on itself. So I was mm-hmm. wondering if real world experience might have influenced it. Because a lot of what I see in this is what people want and don't want and the sort of balance between, I guess, control of yourself and your future in this. Yeah, I mean, I think um, self-determinism, you know, you know plays, a, plays a big role in this and kind of the choices that we make and others' choices really our own, you know, questions of uh, free will. Yeah, I think Anya really has a lot of fascination with that kind of area and looking at, uh, at dating apps and how tech you know, benefits us, but then in some ways uh, shapes us and our decisions are perhaps even less our own. In terms of your editing, 
from what I was watching, it seems very, uh, I don't want to say minimalist, <laughs> but I can't think of a better word. But it's very sort of reserved and allowing the, the actors and the performances to speak. What kind of discussions did you have with Anya before you, you started? I mean, I think we talked um, a lot about, you know, a lot of this character's journey is internal. And it's, you know, it's, it's there in the performance, but there's these gear shifts that need to be narrated from within. And so we, we talked a lot about how, how we would um, explain in, in a nuanced way what she's feeling and using um, sort of a formalist approach to do that, withholding wide shots or, or um, short siding or crossing the line as a way to kind of shape the scenes, but not have it led by the edit. But then I think there's, there's other scenes where, we, like, you know, for instance, the, uh, the very first scene, she's having this interview in this strange space and the way it was filmed, it just felt too real world. And so we tried, um, you know, a, a few different approaches to that. And it seemed that putting both of them out of sync at times. So we have this sort of two different perspectives, Iris, Iris's perspective and then this sort of third person viewer and flipping between these two, it gives this, it gives this slightly timeless, uncanny state, which then builds as, as we start to loop more into Iris's headspace. And she starts to become this sort of quasi timeless state where dreams and memories start to inform her, her real world decisions. It's interesting that you would say that with the perspective and what have you in that scene, because I can't help but think about one of the sex scenes where it's basically all from, I guess, the person's point of view of her, essentially, as she's like talking to him. And it's really sort of her leading us through everything. So it's very uh, voyeuristic in a sense. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I think that that kind of reserved approach is, is through the seasons. It's, it's part of what makes the series feel like it does and that it, it, it has a distance to it. And I think that builds a real curiosity for the character as well. We don't come in with a lot of, or really any backstory with Iris and, and you're, you're watching her from a distance. And I think that makes you curious about who this person is and, and what it is that drives her. This was filmed during the pandemic. How did they go about shooting the sex scenes and, you know, how did that impact you in the edit suite? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, COVID's been, uh, been really difficult um, for, for filming, obviously. You know, we had to stick to um, all of the protocols and there were ongoing risk assessments. And we really created a, a bubble. And it was successful, I think, because it was a relatively small crew. And we selectively planted some of the bigger scenes with uh, a lot more extras towards the very end of the schedule. But that meant that we could, you know, operate in a, in, a, in a pretty safe way with everybody being tested very regularly. And then I think, in, I mean, it's, it's maybe more of a, a question for the intimacy uh, consultant coordinator as to exactly how they, you know, how they managed to, to make uh, the sex scenes work. But yeah, it's, I, I mean, I, I think it was a combination of, um, of careful planning and, and good fortune, really, that we managed to get the series filmed and we filmed it between, you know, lockdowns in London. Now, I noticed that in, in your credits, you've done a lot of documentary work. How do you think your work as a director on a documentary as well as producer has informed you as an editor? I mean, I think um, research is a really key component to, to what makes a, a really good documentary great. With the documentaries that I've made, working as a, as a showrunner and a director, I think it's that that sets them apart. And, and the same goes for a narrative. You can, you can feel when the research is being done and there's, um, there's real thought behind the background for not only the main character, but, but, the, but the plot points and all of the other characters in the story. And then I think character is, you know, super important. I mean, I think in developing documentary, I, um, I always try and make them character-led, uh, even when they're issue-based documentaries. And so I think finding, finding the character in, in, in the documentary in a series can, can be quite similar and, and shaping them. 
you know, the gear shifts, I think, are a difficult thing to uh, narrate, especially if they're not um, super clear. You know, some drama material, the gear shifts are very clear. But I think in, in documentary, you have to find them. And, and in this kind of work, they're, they're written and um, filmed with such a light touch that that's, yeah, I find that a crossover as well. When you say gear shifts, do you mean tone or do you mean scene changes? No, scene pivots. We're, we're yeah. within the scene when, yeah. you, when we're kind of changing direction within a scene. Okay. Uh, and then I was going to say sort of meditative moments as well, just the moment that you are allowed to, you know, come to the top of the stairs and, and collect your thoughts before we go in a, in a new direction. I think that's something I've learned through making documentaries. You really need those moments to reflect and, and the same with the narrative. In documentaries, you're getting to sort of discover the story in the post-process or heavily remake the story in, to a certain degree. Do you find, even though it's scripted, is are you still in a way searching for the story in post or is it, you know, you're sort of assembling it and then remolding it afterwards? I mean, I think at least the way I approach documentaries, I, you know, especially when they're issue based, I, I write out the grand uh, New Yorker article that I want to explain. And then you go out and film and it completely changes. But you do still have a, a bit of a roadmap that you're starting from in issue based documentaries. Mm-hmm. And obviously you have the script and narrative. And so I think, yeah, in both in both situations, you have a starting point and, and then it's going to change from there. I mean, I think really in shaping character, character then inform story. And so I think a lot of the edit choices are really to uh, first starting with character. And then as that character evolves and you find sort of motifs that are running through it or, or there's new eddies to go into or there's, you know, there's a scene that was ultimately going to play as a real scene, but it, it works much better as a memory to sort of inform the character's motivation. Then, then that starts to sh- shift the story as well. But ultimately, I mean, I, I think the, the story doesn't change dramatically. So in something like the girlfriend experience, the characters, it's been written on the in the page, but then you have the actor's performance or interpretation of it. So what do you look for in the rushes when you're sort of assessing something like the girlfriend experience? I mean, I think it's interesting with this because, you know, the character obviously has to evolve over time, but you're cutting, you know, it's, it's block shot and you're cutting uh, completely out of sequence. And so you're cutting isolated scenes and really just looking for the truth, the truth in the performance, what you perceive that scene to be about and, and, and taking what's written on the page and, and then making the, the sort of the best assembly that you can of that material so that you can get to the end of a full assembly. And then I think it's the, it's the dive back in when you then go to sort of shape it as, as a full series, but you go right back into the rushes and, you know, something that didn't work before now, now works a lot better. And, you know, it, it might be that um, the character seems a little unsure of themselves and you were playing the boulder take because the boulder take played really well in the scene in isolation, but you realize that actually the character needs to be, you know, a little more unsure of themselves in that scene. So we did a lot of that. We did a lot of sort of diving back in and, and honing and, and, and shaping performance just so the character's trajectory um, makes sense. And uh, Julia galgani who plays the lead role, is just fantastic and, and gives, you know, gives a really nuanced performance, but, but th- there's a lot to work with there. What were some of the challenges that you faced in the cutting room for this series? I think, um, and this is maybe a, a challenge with every narrative project you cut, but definitely setting the tone and, and, and shaping the world so that it makes sense. You've developed this sort of narrative language coming into the first episode, but then also so it can build. It's, it's a series that sort of shapeshifts in, in tone and genre a bit. And even at the end of episode two, we sort of need to come to this conclusion about where Iris's headspace is at as these two worlds of her day job in the tech world and her job providing the, the girlfriend experience to clients. As these worlds cross over, we need to 
have a takeaway from, I'm, I'm trying not to explain what the scene is, but have a takeaway from the end of, of episode two. That makes sense. And so we need to build towards that in terms of, um, you know, how these memories and um, observations, how they start to overlap. Well, and tone is one of those hard things. It's hard to define to like young editors when they're just starting and you're trying to explain to them the tone's off or the tone's not working. So it's sure. it's one of those tough things to get right, but requires the whole crew to work together. Is there a scene or a moment in the series that you struggled with and then got a hold of it and sort of figured it out? You, It's become one of your standout scenes? Yeah, I think um, I'm just one that springs to mind is in episode two. She has a long interaction with a client, George, uh, and that begins on the balcony. We've already seen her have her first interaction with Paul in the first episode. And so it was it was difficult to know how to enter the scene. And, and then I found that, as happened on the day, it, it seemed to be more interesting if they actually dislike each other on first meeting each other. And then, and then the scene builds from there. And to kind of really enhance that sense that they're not, you know, they're just misaligned, I ended up cutting to the opposite character uh, from who's talking. So whenever somebody goes to speak, um, cut to the reverse and it, it it makes you shift in your seat you feel uncomfortable as as they're feeling uncomfortable in the scene and i found that quite effective and then it was a long it was a really long um, period of time that we spent with george and it just felt like the rhythm of the episode was not quite working and so we ended up using her uh dicta she she also um you know narrates what's happened with these clients at a dictaphone and so we ended up using that as kind of um, a feedback memory recall in the second half of the episode where it actually kind of lends an energy but also allows us to get more into her headspace as we realize that she is analyzing these events with the clients as they happen and so that really took on a, a new shape whilst ultimately still being a collection of, of ideas that are on the page yeah i have one last question that i like to ask everyone i interview and that's what would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch <laughs> i mean i uh I think since childhood, I just uh, I just enjoy Back to the Future. You know, every time I watch Back to the Future, it makes me happy. I think that would be a uh, yeah a guilty pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me interview. Thanks so much for talking to me, man. Thanks for taking the time. Have a good day. So that was my interview with Nick Carew. I'd like to thank Nick for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank Evan for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>